This is a story about a monster, truly. There are people in this life we are supposed to trust inherently to have our interests at heart. Law enforcement, prosecutors, teachers, clergy, and doctors. When they falter, it shakes our faith to its core. What happens when they do more than falter? What happens when they go out of their way to inflict harm? This is the story about how one man went from a beloved and trusted doctor to a pill pusher and sexual predator responsible for ruining countless lives along the way. This is a story about opiate painkillers and the pain and destruction they caused. And while it's true that it happened everywhere in the U.S., here in a small beachside community it seemed almost worse. Why? Because that once trusted doctor was prescribing oxycodone in greater quantities than the entire state of California. A doctor who had lines of people outside his building waiting to see him. A doctor who acted so callously that a judge labeled him a monster. This is his story. But to understand the damage that these pills can cause in people's lives and in communities, we're starting here. I'm John Torres, and this is Murder on the Space Coast, Season 6, Monster on the Beach. It was a short walk for 25-year-old Joey Millman along the bike path, a shortcut through unincorporated Indy Atlantic that kids took in the morning to go to Hoover Middle School and Indy Atlantic Elementary. On most mornings, the path would be busy with joggers and bikes. On weekends, it was not used much at all. It was a gorgeous Sunday morning in 2014, about a week and a half before Halloween, in a neighborhood just a stone's throw from the ocean. But Joey was oblivious to all that. All he cared about was his mission. When he made it to the house at the very end of the bike path, at 370 East Riviera Boulevard, the six-foot-one blue-eyed millman was already sweating. He stopped. He removed the plastic Halloween mask from the white bag he was carrying and put it on. It was a knockoff Casper the Friendly Ghost mask. Millman also pulled out a 22 caliber handgun and entered the unlocked house quietly. He had been in the house before. He made his way silently to the back bedroom where Scott Skippy Hyatt was sitting in a chair while Robert Mel sat on the bed trying on a shirt. With the gun pointed in his right hand, Millman demanded Skippy's pills and money. What followed was only a moment of stunned silence before Millman pulled the trigger, shooting Skippy. He then turned his gun on Robert Mel, whom everybody in the neighborhood knew as Uncle Bobby. Here he is. I looked up and there was Joey with a gun pointing at me saying, give me all your money and give me all your pills. And then he shot, shot us. All right, so he points the gun at... Skippy Hyatt. Yeah. And what does he say? Give me all your money, give me all your pills, and then he shot. Okay. Bang, bang, bang. And who did he shoot? He shot at Skippy. Skippy went down on the ground, and as soon as he shot him, he shot me. He, went, he was like, bang, 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 bang. And he hit me in the chest, and I laid back down on the bed. 
and Skippy was on the ground pulling the money out of his pocket. Um, okay, so he shot Skippy and then he shot you. Yeah. How many times did he shoot you? He shot me three times in the chest and then when I was laying there, I seen him walking over to shoot Skippy in the head, like trying to get up to stop him, and he shot me two more times and knocked me back down on the bed. After he shot him, he picked him up and threw him around the room and ripped his pockets apart. Pill bottle came out, he picked that up, picked up all the money. Then I got up again and I stumbled over to him. I said, Joey, why did you kill me? Why did you kill us? Why did you kill Skippy? And he looked at me and he said, Bobby? And I said, yeah. And he said, Uncle Bobby? Yeah, why did you kill me? Why did you kill us? And he said, I'm sorry. And he opened up the pill bottle, handed me two pills and a blood-filled hand. And he says, here, you're going to need these. And he ran away. And I ate them. I remember that shooting clearly because I was right there, oblivious to what was happening in that house. I was playing my weekly football game with my colleagues from Florida today and some friends at Hoover Fields directly across from the house where the shooting took place. I remember it being just a perfect day for football, walking on the beach, or murder, I guess, if you were jonesing for your next painkiller. Our football game continued because no one heard the gunshots. It continued because no one noticed when Uncle Bobby staggered outside the home closest to the fields with multiple bullet wounds and banged on his neighbor's door. It continued even as one sheriff's squad car after another pulled up to the White House with gray-blue trim, not unlike hundreds of others in the area, where 51-year-old Scott Skippy Hyatt had just been shot to death for the painkillers in his pocket. Our game came to an end when we saw the yellow crime scene tape go up. A day later, October 20th, investigators arrested the 25-year-old Millman and his 17-year-old counterpart, Justin Howard charging them with first-degree murder, among other crimes, in what they described as a drug robbery gone bad. Now, Skippy Hyatt had just filled a bottle of prescription painkillers known as Dilaudid, an opioid known to be about six times stronger than morphine, also known as hydromorphone. When crushed down into a powder and then mixed with water, it can be injected into a vein, and the effect is almost immediate. A few people knew Skippy had pills. One of them was Joey Millman, a full-blown addict with several arrests and two prison stints already behind him. Joey wanted those pills. He needed them. But you see, not everything is as it seems. And this podcast isn't even about that shooting. Not really. It's about the person many have come to blame for that shooting and numerous other violent crimes in the area. A man who would not be held responsible for several years after that shooting. A man who was once well-respected and admired in the area, whose fall from grace was as shocking as it was sudden. According to reports, Millman tried stealing Skippy's pills before, but failed. But this time he would not be deterred. All he needed was something to persuade Skippy to hand them over. Maybe something like a gun. So Millman then asked 17-year-old Justin Howard if he could borrow Howard's mother's gun, just in case he needed to intimidate Hyatt to get the pills. Sure, Howard replied. It will only cost you ten of those pills you steal. 
Millman's violent attack was not something you'd expect to happen when you walk down the sleepy side streets of this beachside enclave, where surfboards and bicycles are as common on front porches as plastic patio chairs and fire pits. But after that murder interrupted that Sunday football game, I began researching and I was alarmed to learn that there had been quite a few shootings and violent crimes in the area during the previous years. I started plotting these cases on a map, and it's actually stunning how clustered they all are. I mean, we're not talking about Chicago or Detroit, and the nearest big city is Orlando, a solid hour's drive away. This is a normally quiet beach vibe area. But I guess, whether it's fair or not, beach and surfing communities have long been associated with drug use. But this, I don't know, it just seemed worse, it seemed violent, and it seemed so out of place for this quiet oceanfront community. What was going on? At the time, Todd Goodyear with the Brevard County Sheriff's Office said, it all rolls back to a few houses that are well known for having the pill people go and hang out. Pill people? Oh, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Those houses, I'd seen them. Every few streets, there seemed to be a house that didn't quite fit. The yard overgrown, the paint old and chips. You can just tell it's not being kept up. I've seen one that is so run down that you could actually see into the house through cracks and holes on the outside. And people are living inside. The house where the shooting took place was one of those houses known for pill people. And that's where our story begins. A murder. Pill people. Greed and addiction that leaves behind a legacy of death. A story that this season will take a deep dive into the local effects of the nationwide opiate scourge. Here is Indy Atlantic Police Chief Mike Connor describing one of those houses. We had, you know, six or seven people staying in a house, you know, a one-bedroom apartment close to A1A. Um, we had one two blocks away from here, as a matter of fact, that we ended up serving a search warrant on. And while we're inside doing the search room, there was maybe eight people inside the house who were staying there in a two-bedroom uh, duplex. As we're inside serving the search warrant, people just kept showing up to the house to, to buy. And it got to the point where we put all, took all the police cars and just parked them around the corner, kind of out of sight. And every 20, 30 minutes, here comes somebody pulling up in the driveway and knocking on the door. So we'd snatch them in and everybody there was 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 looking to buy. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is right during that time, um, just two blocks from the police department. Area resident Carrie Martin has also witnessed the pill people in their pill houses. There was a house, oh, I can't think of the name of the street. It connects the west end of Coconut to Pine Tree. There was a house on that street that one of the known homeless drug dealers was he it was an abandoned house and he claimed it as his own and was renting it out to people um i use air quotes because it wasn't his to rent out but he was renting it out to people trading them drugs for it there was a house on this street um the woman i've lived in this house for 20 years but the woman who lived in that house was here before we moved in here but she was a very well-known drug user. And, yep, it's now a really nice light blue house, but it used to be a terrible, terrible house. She was drawing that element to her home. 
I don't know if she was selling, using, allowing people to sell or use, but there was definitely a much bigger problem with dilapidated houses, with bad guys living there, using them. Um, And it went on for such a long time. 26-year-old Tyler Kelsey had a word for it. Um, I grew up in uh, Indy Atlantic, the heart of Indy Atlantic, uh, I guess technically unincorporated Brevard County across from the what was the Quality Suites um, is now the Doubletree on, off of Coconut Drive, uh, right in the middle of what we would call the Surf Ghetto. And that was the first time I heard of that term, Surf Ghetto. A Surf Ghetto... It's kind of that term is specific to, to, to our area. You know, we do live, the, the surf ghetto is beachside. So when you automatically think of beachside, you think of uh, higher property values and that kind of thing. So, you know, in another part of the country, they somebody might not consider it a ghetto because the houses do look, for the most part, nice from the outside. Um, and you are beachside, you're, you're in paradise. Hey, if you like what we do here at Murder on the Space Coast, then help us continue our work. Please consider subscribing to Florida Today newspaper. You'll be surprised to learn that our digital subscriptions cost about the same as one premium cup of coffee a month. Just go to floridatoday.com backslash subscribe. It's been said addiction has no regard for boundaries, borders, race, economic or social status, religion or gender. It cares not who it affects nor who it destroys. And you couldn't find a more perfect example of that than this odd friendship between Joseph Millman and Justin Howard. The 25-year-old Millman was basically homeless, jobless, and had already done two stints in prison by the time he pulled the trigger that Sunday afternoon killing Skippy Hyatt and wounding Uncle Bobby. But his partner, 17-year-old Justin Howard, who provided the gun, came from a totally different world with an actual physical boundary. Separating their two worlds is a quaint, secluded, shaded bicycle path that runs from the end of Terrace Shores Drive, winding its way down to Riviera Boulevard to a school campus and athletic fields. Like I said earlier, its route is one that many of the neighborhood kids take every morning to get to school. Absolutely everyone in the area knows about this bike path. Here is assistant public defender Mike Parolo asking Millman, his client, about it from the trial. Uh, can you describe the bike path to members of the jury? What does it look like? The bike path? The bike path has been there for a long time. So if you're heading east to if you're heading west towards the river, there is a concrete privacy fence, maybe this tall, all the way along the east side of it, which connects to that gated community. And then on the east side of it is all the residential area. And the bike path is pretty wide. It probably comes to from that wall to about the end of that swinging door. And there's trees. And then there's grass, and it's kind of overgrown on each side. Um, is it cement or? Yeah, there's a cement walk. Yeah, there's a walk through there. Okay. The path is completely hidden from public view. On one side of the path, you'll find quaint small block houses, mainly built in the 1960s, 
typical of the area. But on the other side is a high concrete wall separating the exclusive wealthy gated community known as the Cloisters. 17-year-old Justin Howard lived just outside those gates in a beautiful home with an in-ground pool and only a short walk to the beach. Despite the affluence, Justin Howard got hooked on drugs and hooked up with Joseph Millman. An unlikely pair. A wealthy 17-year-old and a homeless ex-con held together by the one thing they shared. Addiction. Again, here is Tyler Kelsey. On one side of the wall, you have your white picket fences in perfect paradise. On the other side of the wall, you got heroin being dealt to, to teenagers. So, yeah, that man, that, that, that whole area. And, and everybody living in the area, when that uh, shooting happened that you're talking about, they were so shocked. They were like, oh, no, not, not in my neighborhood. No way. No way. Howard cut a deal with prosecutors and served a little more than five years before being released in April 2023. In exchange for the shortest sentence, he pled guilty to second-degree murder and agreed to testify against Millman. In 2017, a jury found Millman guilty of murder and home invasion, for which he is now serving a life sentence. Now back to that eerily private bike path for a moment. Geographically, the path separates the old beachside communities with an affluent one. But this path is more than just a very visual wall between two different segments of this beachside community that seem to crumble under the weight of opiates. It also led somewhere that will prove very key to our story. At the north end, heading south, the path intersects with Ocean Oaks Avenue leading to State Road A1A and the ocean. On the corner of A1A and Ocean Oaks now, you'll find a psychic at 1520 North Highway A1A. But before that, it was the location of a medical practice, Indy Atlantic Internal Medicine, home to a respected and beloved doctor in the area, a doctor whose name would later become associated with death, destruction, rape, and predatory sex with underage girls, a doctor whom many say deserves blame for bringing the opioid scourge to this community. His name? Dr. John Matthew Gaydon. Next time on Murder on the Space Coast, Monster on the Beach. What made you go to Dr. Gaydon? You talking about Dr. John Gaydon? Yes. Uh, I just, I started doing them and my boyfriend at the time. Started doing what? I started doing blues. Or what blues? Yeah, and he didn't want to support my habits, so he told me to go to Gaydon. There's a lot of things that are referred to as sort of red flags of a doctor who's outside, uh, operating outside the usual course of professional practice. They'll be giving, you know, little to no examination of the patients. You'll be starting on, you know, the, the minute somebody walks in, start on opioids. That's it for now. I'm opinion editor John A. Torres. And you can follow me on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And follow the podcast on at 321Murder. For more information on these cases and web exclusives, please go to floridatoday.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers, and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thanks for listening to Monster on the Beach, a Murder on the Space Coast podcast Brought to you by Florida Today, a part of the USA Today Network.